I believe God has you here this morning for a very specific purpose, and that is for him to say, hit the pause button. Stop for a minute, be reflective, ponder what God might have in store for you in this upcoming year. And that's the title of the message today, Strategies for a Successful 2015. And we're going to base it on this particular passage of Scripture that I believe Paul most, must have written about New Year's uh, and said to uh, the church at Ephesus, it's time for some accounting. It's time to think about what you want your life to look like in the upcoming days. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. That's a big word for making the right choices, uh, following the right path. Not as fools, but ra- rather as wise. Redeeming the time. I like that phrase, don't you? Using the time that God has given you well. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We kind of stand at a crossroads today, don't we? Uh, if some of us were to offer a testimony and we were honest, we'd say, you know, 2014, well, that kind of stunk. Some things happened, some choices I made went, a, went astray. Uh, life didn't go as well as I hoped it would, but it's almost over and it's time for a new year. Anybody have kind of a bad year? Seven of you did. The rest of you are here just by a lucky chance, right? Well, maybe it was a great year. Maybe it was just a mediocre year. But here's what I believe. I believe all of us have the privilege and the opportunity today of making sure that what lies ahead is better. Of making sure that God's plan is our plan for this next year. Now, when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to responding to the circumstances of our life, that's where success lies. Bible says to be wise and not foolish, to make good choices, to walk circumspectly, to not be ignorant, to not be foolish in the choices that we make. And, and, and sometimes, more often than not, I believe, for those who are here in church on a Sunday morning, It's not so much that we make choices between good and evil. I've said this before. I don't think any of you woke up this morning and said, should I come to church or should I rob a bank? Couple in the back did, yes, I see that. Arnold, they wouldn't go to Heritage, I'm sure, to do that, so it's good. Here's the fact. Most of us, though, every day make choices between good and better, and better and best. We do them every area of our life, and I believe those choices define what will happen in our lives or what we'll allow God to do in our lives over the next year. We'll make choices in the financial realm. We'll decide how to spend our money. We'll decide either to be generous or stingy with God. We'll decide whether to invest or whether to spend, whether to save or whether to spend. We'll make financial choices. 
we'll make material choices. Now, that's really, really fresh on our minds at Christmas, isn't it? Because here's what we believe in our culture today. And, and I think this is especially true with grandparents and parents in relationship to our children. That if we want them to have a happy Christmas and a happy life, we have to buy them everything they ask for. We parade them to the mall and we set them down on Santa Claus's lap so we can find out what they want. We make a list. We don't care if they've been naughty or nice, do we? We make a list. Then if we didn't get enough information from Santa Claus A, we go over to Cincinnati and to the Carew Tower where the real Santa Claus is, right? You seen that guy? He's good. We get another list, and, and we get on the internet, we send away for, we shop, we get up in the middle of the night, we uh, wrestle other people to make sure we get exactly what they ask for, don't we? Come on, we did, don't judge me, you did. I mean, that's the way life is at Christmas for us, because materially, In order for success to come, we have to spend the money and buy just the right things. Here's what happened at our house this year. We have a a little girl, Izzy, who is 20, 21 months. She'll be two in, 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 uh, in March. She's just old enough to be able to articulate what she wants. Just old enough. And, and she articulated a lot of things this year. I mean, a lot of things. And we tried, you know, because she's two and we want her to be happy. And if she didn't have all these things, she wouldn't be happy. So we bought a lot of things. And then we opened those things. All of us were anticipating what's she going to play with first. My gift was best. I, know, I bought her a kitchen. There's no woman in our family that cooks, so I'm working on her already. There's no man in the family that cooks either, but we eat. So we're working on this kitchen deal, and here's what she played with first. She jumped in the pile of paper, and for a good hour, she wallowed and stuck her head up from time to time for photo ops. Now, what does that tell me? about the material choices that I made. We'll make spiritual choices over this next year. We'll decide if it will be our path or God's path. We'll decide whether His priorities will be our priorities. We'll decide to either grow closer to Him or in many ways to slip farther from him. You see, success can be defined in a lot of different ways. But I believe, as Paul writes, that if we're actually going to make a difference in this world, if there's going to be any sense of peace in our lives, that we must get our wisdom from God. We must redeem the days live righteously, refuse to let time pass us by 
without making positive contributions to our culture. So let's flesh out what he said specifically. First of all, I, w- I kind of want to talk about the brevity of time, how quickly life goes by. Our, our stay here is short, isn't it? I, uh, I'm only a little past 50, and I know that's, that's, you know, you're thinking, wow, you don't look that old. But I'm only a little past 50. But you know what I have come to realize? Man, it's gone by quickly. It has gone by quickly. We've been watching old family home videos this week. I've been looking at myself at 25 and 30 and 35, and I'm thinking, man, did I not have a mirror then? You were there too, weren't you? Look at back how you dressed in the 80s and 90s. You'll be sorry. <laughs> and, and I see the kids. Uh, Amanda and the ones we were watching last night, Amanda and John Todd are little, and Tyler was not yet thought of. And, and it just how is it that now my youngest is going to graduate from high school if they don't check the records too close? Where's that time gone? Where'd it go? How, how, how can I be this old? It's just flown by. And, and, and not only is our time here short, and not only does it pass quickly, we know that it's going to come to an end. You know, you can go on the internet. Here, here, here's the, here's the uh, website deathclock.com and you can plug in your vitals how old you are what's your medical history how much you weigh like that's any of their business (laughs) information about yourself and it will tell you when you're gonna go meet your maker I am going to be 84 years old, seven months, three weeks, and two days when I go see the Lord. I'm not sure if that's good news or bad news. Some of you seem to be excited about it. But that's, you know, if it's 104, it's going to go by quickly, isn't it? Miss Myrtle's not with us today. She's, she 104? 104. You know, she went to uh, have a pacemaker put in about eight, nine months ago. And the doctor said to Miss Myrtle, these things only last about seven years. <laughs> and she said, what will we do next then? <laughs> That's optimism right there, isn't it? What will we do next? But if you did live to be 111, you know what she told me a few years ago? She was 101 then. She said, I can't believe how quickly the time has gone by. And she got that little smile. You see, that's the way life is. It's, it's here and it's gone. And you have to determine how well you've spent those days. And, and why is it so important that, that 
every day we make wise choices, that every day we draw closer to God rather than far away, because life has eternal ramifications. I've got here what I believe to be the longest cord that will cause your iPhone or iPad to operate with service or with battery power known to man. It is 10 foot tall. Grab that, John. Stand up and hold it for me. You're a living illustration today. See how long that thing is? You can plug your phone in anywhere and still talk now. That's good news. You see the little plug right here at the end? Right here, just this little thing. See it in the back? You'll learn to sit down front. (laughs) This little plug represents your life here on earth. From me to John and beyond, wrapped around Chad and, and, and down through past Jim and around the church, imagine this cord to be eternal. This is life. And this is eternity. Eternity. And the choices we make here, thank you, John, the choices we make here determine where all of this other time is spent. Right here, just in this little speck of time. What you decide about God, about faith, about His Son, Jesus. The way in which you live out your faith your, your doctrine, your belief, the choices you make have ramifications for all of eternity. So what God reminds us over and over again in his word is that time, urgency, it's the essence of this life. You don't put off what you have to do today spiritually. You don't decide, I will live my life for him at some point out there. You decide to do it now. 2015 ought to mark the greatest spiritual mountaintop of your life because of the choices that you make. Secondly, Not only is time short, I want to encourage you to make the most of every opportunity. Now, there are some folks in life who don't miss anything. You go anywhere where anything exciting is happening and you're in line behind them, aren't you? Amen? And then there are some of you who are just, you know, well, I'm not sure I want to get involved. I'm not sure... You know, I'm kind of busy, you're kind of picky, and you're kind of finicky. I have a daughter, Amanda, who, you know, she's kind of that way a little bit, you know. She's kind of hesitant about just jumping in. John Todd and Tyler and I would just jump in, and she'd stand on the shore and watch us sink. And so I thought it important one day, because she had been talking about this boy and that boy and how they liked her and how she really wasn't sure how she felt about them and talking about where she wasn't sure whether she wanted to go to school or not. Just, you know, I'm just not sure. And, you know, she was kind of right about the guys. She left them behind. That was a good idea. 
And so one day I said, I want to teach you the lesson of the dinner table. Here's the lesson of the dinner table. It used to be the supper table, but we're now cultured in Kentucky. <laughs> Take chicken when chicken is passed. Now that's strong right there, amen? That is guru-like. Take chicken when chicken's passed. What am I saying? It's not about food, isn't it? Is it? It's about making the most of your opportunities in life. If your family's like mine, the chicken doesn't come around again, right? <laughs> Amen? Doesn't come around again. And you waste an opportunity. You waste an opportunity to make a difference for God. You waste an opportunity to redeem the time. You waste an opportunity to do something that you may never have the chance to do in a place where you may never be again when you don't take chicken, when chicken's passed. Enemy's pleased. The enemy's pleased when we waste opportunities, isn't he? He's not going to be able to pull most of us completely away from God. He's not going to make most of us uh, be involved in foolishness. But when we waste opportunities, when we waste time that's precious, he wins. Devil may not cause you to be evil, but he can cause you to be really busy, really confused about what's important because you get overloaded don't you how many of you today would say I am a busy person what is wrong with the rest of you no wonder we're busy because they're not doing anything (laughs) what are you what are you busy with I mean what just consumes your time Being busy, you're busy with busyness. I don't have that on the list, but I could add it. We're busy with commitments, aren't we? You know, some of you are way overcommitted. Some of you have to be have dinner at two different places tonight. Some of you are so consumed, so committed that you really don't have time to breathe. Don't have time to build relationships. Don't have time to serve God. Don't have time to have any peace at all in your life. You're committed here and there and everywhere. Some of you are overcommitted, overloaded with possessions. I mean, all you can think about is what you want to have next, what you want to get next, what you want to buy next, what you want to impress people with next. Some of us are overloaded with work. Uh, I, I don't read many magazines anymore. If it you know, doesn't come on the internet or in the newspaper, I don't see it. But, but remember when magazines, this final uh, magazine, what do you call that? edition of the year 
would come, and there'd be all these prognostications about what was going to happen in the next year or out in the future. Guys remember that? Anybody? Good, good, thank you. In 1972, in Life magazine, they had a year-end prediction edition. And here's what they said, one of their, their main beliefs about the future. They said by the year 2010, that technology would have advanced to the place where the workforce would not be nearly as large. And the work week would be reduced to an average of 22 to 27 hours a week. And the biggest problem that people in America would face is what to do with their leisure time. What about that? Well, they missed the mark there, didn't they? Some of you you have gotten yourself in a situation where your life is completely dominated by your work. We're also overloaded with information, aren't we? They can't put everything we need to know in a book anymore, so they put it on a, a, a microchip. You don't have textbooks anymore, you have iPads. And maybe you have a smartphone. There are over a million applications that this phone will utilize. There are over 20,000 different ways you can communicate with this phone. If this isn't smart enough for you, maybe you have an iPad. Maybe you have a smart TV at home now. Can I just tell you this? If something says smart as a descriptive word before it, you don't need it. It'll be more than you can handle. It'll be, you'll have to have your kids operated for you. One day they'll leave home and you'll be in a terrible shape. My mother, until a year or two ago, still had me turn on the VCR. Now, nobody in this room has a VCR anymore, do you? Well, these are some old timers behind it. Technology. You see, there's so much stuff out there, so many smart things, so many things that are smarter than we are, that we're overloaded. So how do you get past all this stuff that would consume your time, that would warp your vision, that would cause you to place priorities on the wrong thing? The first one is you just stop. And you start to think, about who God is and about what's important to Him. You start to pray about that. You start to spend significant time with God. Take a break and just pray some before this year comes to an end. And say, God, what, what are you doing? Where are you headed? What do you want from me? Define success as being where God wants you to be, doing the things that God wants you to do, following his path. D define success by discipleship. 
For some of you, discipleship means salvation. There are some of you sitting here now who, if 2015 marked the end for you, you're not sure where you'd spend eternity. For others of you, discipleship, it means starting over again and and turning around, repenting, if you will, from where you've been and start going towards a new place. For some of you, discipleship means allowing God control. If Kentuckians are anything, we're control freaks, aren't we? Kind of basketball freaks, too, after yesterday, right? But we're control freaks. Had to throw that in there somewhere. And it's difficult for us to lay down and sacrifice control of our lives. And if you want 2015 to be significantly better than 2014, it'll be because God's in control and not you. Not you. Establish your priorities as his priorities. You know, just make a decision that, you know what? I've blown it. My way hadn't worked. My priorities have been wrong. My choices have been faulty. Establish a meaningful, deeply connected relationship with God. Spend some time with your family. I just tell you that my kids are all grown up. Went really quickly. Wish we could go back with me knowing what I know now about what really matters. Be good to yourself. That's my favorite. Anybody done anything really stupid in 2014? Anybody done more than 100 stupid things? I'm looking for the winner here. (laughs) Maybe you're beating yourself up today. Maybe you've realized that it could have been a lot different or better if you'd just done this or that or not done this or that. You're on a guilt trip. God wipes the slate clean. His forgiveness and grace are enormously large, much bigger than your stupidity, your sin. Forgive yourself. Be good to yourself. Cut yourself a break. There's a lady who uh, was getting ready to graduate high school, I guess a girl, and she thought to herself, you know, I could go to college, but I really don't like school, so I'm not sure that I want to go, but her parents insisted, and they were paying, and so she went, and she made her way through four years of college, but every day while she was there at that university, she thought, you know, if I could just get out of school, I could be happy. 
I could just get past college. I could find the right man. How silly it is to think a man could make you happy. Right, ladies? Amen? Jump in here. If I could just find the right man, get married and have kids, then I would be successful. Well, she finally did graduate, and she did meet a guy, and he was Mr. Right, and I'm not sure how all that went, but they had some kids, and and, you know, kind of in rapid-fire succession, three, four kids, and, and, and she's living life, and she's married, and she's raising kids, and she's thinking to herself, if I could just get these kids raised, and my husband raised, I, I'd be happy. So finally, they make it to college. The first one's there, and her husband comes in and says to her, you know what? Now that the kids are in school and the college bills are astronomical, amen, we need you to go back to work or go to work. Use that degree that you got. And she said, well, I really don't want to go to work. And they debated it, and she finally did. And she gets this job, and she's working, and she's working. And the kids don't just go to college. They go to graduate school. You know, I know some people who've never, ever gotten out of school, don't you? And so finally she gets them all out and she goes to see her boss and she's been thinking if I could just quit this job, I'd be happy. She says, I don't need to work anymore. My kids are graduated. They're finally done. They're living life. I quit. Her boss said to her, you know, if you'd just work another eight years, you could be in our pension plan. You'd be fully vested and you'd have a nice check every month in retirement. She said, I don't. He said, if you just do that, think of how lucrative it would be. So she goes back to work thinking this eight years will be over and I'll be happy. The time finally comes. She and her husband retire at the same time. They downsize. They they buy a condominium in uh, Darlington Farms. And another little place down in Florida, because that's what people do when they get old in Burlington. Don't take that personally, snowbirds. And so they sit on their front porch here in the summer and there in the winter, and they flip through their albums. And they think, man, those were the good old days. You see, life is what happens when you're making plans to do something else. I don't know what your plans are today. Most of us aren't wise enough to make concrete spiritual plans. Most of us think that the little things the, the, are, are the money we can spend and the time that we spend working. and We just measure success in really, really crazy ways, I think. And I think time passes us by and we grow old and bitter. We're disappointed because we weren't successful. And I think our standards are out of whack because here's what I think success is. And here's what I think would make your upcoming year completely different than all the others. I think if you would learn to really listen to people, learn to have empathy and sympathy 
to allow yourself to feel, to don't ever hold back tears, to laugh often, to just say life is worth living. I think if you make a new friend every week or restore an old friendship, I think if you would revel in the joy of being with family and the time God gives you together. I think if you would learn to invest your life in God's kingdom, realizing that that's what lasts past this life and into eternity, you'd be passionate about seeing people who don't know Jesus learn about him. You'd be passionate about being generous and giving. You'd stop worrying about being right and you'd start to think more about being kind. And just maybe when Christmas comes next year, you will have learned to play in the paper it's all said and done because that's what really matters I don't know about you I can't wait to see what God's going to do next year and I hope I'm right in the middle of the biggest mess of all this thing called life is messy but it's amazing Give God this year and see what he does. Pray with me. Father, it's a, it's a different perspective. It's completely different for most of us. Because we think if we do this or that, that justice will prevail, that the laws of science will prevail, that we'll get what we deserve. But in reality, it's about grace. It's about loving and being loved. It's about trusting you with everything, and I mean everything. It's about peace that we can't understand. It's about salvation that we don't deserve. It's about a life that's rich and full because it's focused on you. There are those of us in this room who've lost our way. Who've lost our joy. Who are anxious, troubled, broken, empty. There are those of us who've lost the things that really matter. Could this morning, could this this time that you've brought us together be a time where all of that changes? Where we have hope again, vision again. Where we're restored to you and to one another. Father, your altar is open. And your call remains the same it's a call to life abundant, happy joyful life and that's my prayer 
for every person in this room. The pain would be gone. The brokenness would be gone. The void would be filled by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing. No better place to start this new year than on your knees at this altar. No more hope than the hope that is here. No greater peace, no greater salvation. You come as we sing. Share in communion. Start again with Jesus. We'll be for
forever will be forever mine. My chains are gold. I'm being set free. I got my Savior has ransomed me. In my comfort, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Unending. Love.